This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We're going to talk about the insights about dealing with income tax debt uh, from a BC debt help expert. So Revenue Canada, and pay attention folks, Revenue Canada says 9 out of 10 Canadians file and pay their income taxes on time. So that's pretty good. That's a big majority. But there's still a portion of Canadians that carry a tax debt. And of course, that means costs, high stress. So it's so great, Blair, that you're going to talk about some key facts that we should know about tax debt, because I feel like it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different than our regular consumer debt. Would you agree? I would totally agree. It's definitely different. And the way that it can arise, you know, sometimes, you know, even without your knowledge, you don't know the actions that you're taking are leading to a tax debt where you typically do know when you're borrowing money. Uh, And then certainly from the recourse uh, that the creditor has, CRA has got a whole lot more tools and they're a whole lot easier to access than the average person or a credit card company or something who is owed money. So definitely it's a little bit different. Uh, I think it's useful to talk about, you know, how do tax debts arise typically? And there's a some there's a few ways that they can arise that are sometimes unexpected for individuals. So, you know, someone being self-employed and never paying a dollar of tax, that's not unanticipated that they're going to owe some money at the end of the year if they earned a bunch of money and didn't pay tax on it. But a couple ways that people can get into trouble unexpectedly with taxes, first off, is with cashing in RRSP funds. So what happens when you cash in your RRSPs is the financial institution that holds that RRSP, they're going to withhold a certain amount of tax. Sometimes it's 10 to 20% or in that range and they're going to give you the net amount. So right away, some people are surprising. Well, I withdrew 5000 from my RRSP. Why am I getting 4500 Well, because there's some tax withheld. But then at the end of the year, you need to understand that depending on your marginal tax rate or the amount of taxes that you have to pay based on your income, that amount that was withheld from your RRSPs may not have been even close to enough. So depending on the income level, it could have been, you know, 40% of that money should have been withheld for taxes. And if they only withheld 10% at source, uh, when you didn't, when you made the withdrawal and gave you the amount, they're going to come looking for that other 30%. Uh, when you file your taxes, you're going to have a balance owing. So be careful when you're cashing in RRSPs that you actually put aside enough money to cover uh, the eventual tax bill that's going to come due at the end of the year. So I've had people definitely have done that over successive years and just really ended up in a tax situation where they needed our help just based on cashing in the RRSPs. Um, a second way that, t- that tax this- that can arise. Yep, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, no, feel free. Go ahead to the multiple jobs. I think this is a really important one because it's something you're relying on somebody else to make sure they don't take too much off or not enough off and you've got another gig on the side. So it's an important one for sure. Well, yeah, talk about something that you think you're to, you're doing the best that you can, working hard, trying to get ahead, and then suddenly get smacked with the consequences, unfortunately, is when you take on a second or even a third job, uh, you need to be careful that on those additional jobs that your employer is going to withhold tax at the correct amount. 
because when you work for a single employer, they estimate your income over the year and they say, okay, if you're in this tax bracket, we're going to withdraw this amount of taxes from every paycheck. But if you work for a second or a third employer, they don't know your total income unless you sit down explicitly and tell them. Um, so they're just going to put you typically in you know the lowest possible tax bracket, uh, withhold the least possible amounts of tax. And then at the end of the year, when you go and do your taxes and you find out, well, based on my income, the second and third job, they didn't withhold near enough taxes from my paycheck. Well, then you can imagine how demoralizing that can feel that I worked so hard in these other jobs. And now I've got a tax bill at the end of the year of money I've already spent because I thought it was free and clear, but it just wasn't enough from CRA's perspective. Is there something that you can specifically ask your employer to do and and hope that they do it or, or are they obliged to do it if you ask them or how does that work sometimes? Yeah, good question. Well, what's the solution here? So the solution is just to be transparent and communicate with each of your employers and for your second and or third job. And trust me, I see this a lot, especially in, in the lower mainland here. It's to have that conversation with your employer and ask them to withdraw more taxes than would typically be required based on that income level. You know, if you overestimate it, they withdraw too much taxes. Well, guess what? You get a nice tax refund at the end of the year. It's money that you put away and comes back to you, but it's a much better alternative than actually owing some money. So definitely sit down with your employers be transparent, say, here's my total income, here's the tax rate that I think I'll sit into, um, and then absolutely they shouldn't have any issue adjusting that withholding from your paycheck. Now, people who are self-employed might fall into a special category as well if they've got a salary job and maybe they're doing something on the side. Uh, so self-employed people have to pay attention. Oh, absolutely. When you're self-employed, you know, it, it always shocks me that anybody can just set up a business, you know, just tomorrow and be self-employed. No one's going to sit them down and explain to them all the rules for it, but they're going to be held accountable to the letter of those rules, even right from day one. So one spot where I see people get into trouble very quickly is with GST. So you need to figure out if you're self-employed whether you need to collect GST for your goods or services or not. And in most cases, the answer is yes. If you're earning more than $30,000 in revenue, you need to collect and remit GST to the government. And if you fail to do so, uh, regardless of whether you actually collected it from your clients or not, the government's going to say, well, hey, 5% of what you collected, that's owed to us. And the government views GST debt as even more severe than income tax debt because it's viewed as what's called a trust amount. So the idea is the consumer, when they're paying you, the self-employed person, they're paying you for your services. They're also putting 5% for GST that you're supposed to hold in trust for the government. And if you fail to do so, uh, the government can take some pretty aggressive actions, including freezing your bank accounts, seizing assets, so on and so forth. So the most important thing here is just to really understand upfront, are you required to be a GST registrant? Uh, and to make sure if you are, that you're remitting those funds to GST. I, I suggest on a monthly basis, you can do quarterly or annually, but on a monthly basis, you just know you're not going to get very behind if you're clearing that 12 times a year. I just want to throw in here as well that, you know, if you don't want to wait any longer, you want to take some action, you think you're in, that that we're speaking to you in your situation, the best way to take some action is give Sands & Associates a call or log on to their website and get an appointment. It's nice and easy to do. The address is sands-trustee.com and their phone number is 1-800-661-3030. I guess the number one thing when it comes to income tax, or at least it is for me, is always file on time. I'm so concerned about the deadlines and how they can sort of shift around a little bit depending on what year it is or what position I'm in. So filing on time's got to be way up there in terms of the best thing you can do to start off well. 
Yeah, that's number one at the top of the list. It's just down to, you know, the, the Nike slogan, just do it. You know, you've got to file your taxes every year. Even if you don't owe anything, it's in your best interest to file because you might need to prove your income for credit or housing applications. And if you want to receive benefits like quarterly GST checks, or if you're a senior, the guaranteed income supplement, or your Canada child benefit um, as, a, as a couple or individual with children, those are all very important reasons why you need to file your taxes because you won't get those benefits otherwise. And it is your civic obligation. You know, you won't go to jail for owing tax debt in Canada. I've never seen that, but I have seen warrants for arrests for people who have not filed in 20 years and CRA is just at the end of their ropes and doesn't know what to do that's going to get this person's attention. So it's very important just to get your taxes filed each, each year. And there are people that can help you with that, including us at Sands and Associates. If you have debt, sometimes getting you caught up on your taxes is a, is a key part of what we do. But it's important that you do it on time to the deadline. And April 30th is the deadline year in and year out. So April 30th, is when your return has to be in. And if you're not self-employed, your payment for any taxes owing has to be in at that point. Um, if you are self-employed, uh, for June 15th, you have until then to file. So a little bit of extra time to get all your books in order, but you still have to have paid at April 30th. So you're required to estimate what your taxes are. And if you're wrong, you're going to be paying a little bit of a difference there or getting a refund back. But April 30th is a very important payment deadline. And what's really important about that deadline is if you don't hit that deadline to file your taxes and get the balances paid, you're going to be charged with some interest that compounds daily. And what can be even more significant is the late filing penalty. Um, so if it's your first year being late on filing your taxes, any amounts that are owing are hit with an immediate 5% penalty. And then for every month that that return is late, it goes up by another percent. So it could be, you know, 16, 17% by the end of the year. And if it's not your first year being delinquent and filing your taxes on time, it's doubled. So it's a 10% hit uh, to the balance right away, plus 2% per month. That's higher than a lot of credit cards, payday loans, uh, interest rates charge. So you've really got to be uh, on CRA's schedule or their, their interest rates and penalties can be quite significant. And tax debt isn't something that ever goes away, does it? Unless you actually take, do something about it. No, tax debt doesn't expire. Um, it's one of those few debts that are out there where there's no statute of limitations. So you can't wait it out. Um, you can't, you know, just make a plea of poverty and say, hey, this debt is gone. I can never pay it. Um, no, obviously, if you've got no ability to pay CRA, you know, they're not going to be able to do that much to you. But it's not the case where you can just, you know, go silent for a few years and just think, well, when I pop back up again, this tax debt is going to be gone. So the only way to deal with CRA is you have to take formal steps. You either have to work with them on a repayment plan and typically they'll be you know flexible to a degree but usually it's about a six-month payment plan is what they'll sign on to and maybe they'll give you some some breaks on the interest and the penalties uh, but they won't be able to reduce the principal at all and if that doesn't work linking directly with CRA uh, the only way that you can achieve tax forgiveness uh, is to work directly with a licensed insolvency trustee and do either a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy which we talk about a ton on the show here. Yeah, and uh, I just want to stress, too, that a licensed insolvency trustee is the only one, is the only one that can deal with CRA on any level in terms of a tax debt. Well, that's right, Elaine. I think it's important for people to know because you do see a lot of advertisements for tax lawyers and things like that. And there's definitely a niche a tax lawyer can play where if you think it's unfair the way that you've been assessed, it's just not right. You need to dispute some of the facts behind your tax debt. That's where a tax lawyer can assist you. But if you say, well, yeah, I just made too much income or I didn't, ref I didn't you know, remit GST as I should have, and there's no mystery about the tax debt, that's absolutely where you need the help of a licensed insolvency trustee. Uh, it's going to be a heck of a lot cheaper than, than paying a tax lawyer per hour. And we 
we've got the defined solution that's actually going to help you deal with that debt. We're not going to dispute it. We're just going to help you discharge it and get rid of it at the end. Now, we just got about another minute or so. I bet one of the questions that comes up for, for you from people are, does CRA, can CRA put a lien on my house or how much power does CRA have when it comes to my stuff? Yeah, I think that's a great way to finish here, Elena, not to put the fear into people at all, but CRA has more power than you could imagine. <laughs> um, so I say that as a trustee, seeing what all of their creditors can do, and almost with no notice. So they've got to send, you know, one written notice, but whether that's received or not, if they don't really care, um, CRA can put a lien on your house. So if you've got a house that's not mortgaged completely, or even if it is, CRA will just go in second position. CRA can absolutely place a lien on your house so when the house is eventually sold, they'll get paid out in full for their amounts that's owing for taxes. Uh, they can also go for your employment income. They don't need to sue you first. They can start to seize wages. Even pensions can be seized up to 100% by CRA, which no other creditor in Canada can attach to pension income, and certainly not for 100%, but CRA has the tools to do it. It's definitely not their first step, but they've got very robust steps they can take to collect if you don't deal with the debt head-on. So the best way to deal with that debt head-on is go see uh, either Blair or someone from their office, Sands and Associates, they've got offices all over British Columbia. Get that debt free, get debt free and connect with a non-judgmental debt help professional. Sands and Associates, their website, sands-trustee.com or give them a call 1-800-661-3030 to book your, fr your free confidential debt consolidation. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. And speaking of debt, let's talk about bankruptcy. Everything you wanted to know about bankruptcy, but maybe we're afraid to ask. When it comes to contemplating bankruptcy for folks, it's pretty challenging financial time for them. Well, Blair's got uh, some great ideas on how to help individuals. And Blair, you've talked before that personal bankruptcy really isn't anywhere as bad as people often fear it may be. Can you can you talk more about that? Oh, certainly, Elaine. It was one of the big surprises for me as I became a trustee is just about everything that I thought I knew about bankruptcy. And, you know, I had went to business school, had studied a lot of accounting. Uh, it actually wasn't correct when you actually got down to the law and how it impacts Canadians, um, you know, on, on, a base, on, a, on an individual basis. It's a really emotionally charged, a very personal topic uh, when people start to consider, oh my gosh, I'm in debt and I can't pay things back. And people often have a really knee-jerk negative reaction but the reality is that bankruptcy, it's really all about a fresh start. It's not meant to be an overly punitive. It's not a public shaming. It's not a situation where you lose everything you've ever had in your life. <clears throat> it's a chance for you to literally turn things around and start again fresh. So what, you know, an amazing gift for somebody to have. They can just start again without being burdened by debt. Uh, and it's something that's more common than you think. Odds are someone that you know may have filed for, for bankruptcy in their life or may well in the future um, because it's about 4.6 out of every 1,000 adult Canadians uh, filed for insolvency in calendar year 2019. So just under, you know, a half of a person out of 100. And if you think over a 20, 30 or 40 year working period, you know, it could be anywhere from 10 to 20 percent of the working population is going to struggle with debt. It's potentially going to have to investigate uh, a bankruptcy filing. And it's you're so much better off being forearmed with some knowledge about that remedy. Okay, well, let's start at the very beginning, then. Can you explain what is bankruptcy? 
Well, bankruptcy, it's a federally legislated legal process, and that's a, you know, a mouthful of words, but it means it's something enshrined in law from the federal government, and it gives you the ability to get rid of your debts and to get protection from your creditors in the event you can no longer meet your financial obligations. So the wording in the law, it's a fresh start for the honest but unfortunate debtor. So who's eligible to declare bankruptcy, Blair? Well, this is usually a surprise for people. You don't have to be millions of dollars in debt, you know, even tens of thousands of dollars in debt. Um, the eligibility for bankruptcy in Canada is you have to owe more than $1,000, which is a very low bar. And generally, nobody files bankruptcy for just $1,000, but sometimes people do for five to 10 or definitely for $15,000. But the minimum is just $1,000 of debt. And the second part is you have to be considered insolvent. And what insolvent means is that either you've stopped paying your debts because you're unable to pay your debts, or if you were to sell all of your property, it just wouldn't be enough to pay the debts uh, that you've accumulated. So if somebody is sitting with a house that's worth millions of dollars and they've got, you know, $10,000 of debt, they're not insolvent. But the average person that we see who maybe don't, doesn't have a whole lot of assets and is carrying ten dollars to $15,000 of credit card debt and really struggling to make the payments, they absolutely would meet the test of being insolvent. So uh, you've noted here in this topic that we're that we're covering in terms of bankruptcy and all the ins and outs of it, that lots of people mistake being insolvent as meaning the same as being bankrupt. But that is the case or it isn't? It isn't the case. And that's a really good distinction for, for people to have, because a lot of people will pass through the state of insolvency uh, at various points in their life. And they, they might not know it. It might be the case, you know, they've just financed a car, the car is worth less than what they owe on it. So, you know, theoretically, they've got debts that exceed their assets, but you're only bankrupt if you take the steps to formally file a bankruptcy. It's a specific legal proceeding and undertaking, so you have to be insolvent to file a bankruptcy, but just because you're insolvent doesn't mean that you're automatically bankrupt or have to take that next step. It's a very separate, formal, defined process. Okay, so can we move on to what kind of debts get covered in a personal bankruptcy? Yeah, and that one, it's one of the better answers that I'm happy to give is it's just about everything. It's just about every debt that you could accumulate under the sun can be included, dealt with, and then eventually discharged as part of a bankruptcy proceeding. So just going through a pretty quick list here, but your consumer and business debts, whether it's credit cards, lines of credit, overdrafts, payday loans, any type of standard consumer or business debt can be discharged or, again, eliminated as part of a bankruptcy. Uh, income tax debts, a lot of people are really surprised to learn that a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal can eliminate and reduce amounts to government, including income tax debt, uh, including amounts for student loans, uh, and also including ICBC debts. Um, bankruptcy can deal with personal debts if you borrowed money from whether it's a friend or a family member. Uh, legally, bankruptcy can assist you uh, in dealing with that commitment as well. Uh, and then finally, uh, if you have debts for a business where you've signed a personal guarantee. So many times, if you have an incorporated business, the person who is the director of that corporation, they're required to sign on the dotted line, whether it's for a lease or an equipment financing or something else like that. And if the business fails, sometimes it drags them down as well because they personally guaranteed that debt. All of those debts you could get relief from uh, if you chose to file for personal bankruptcy. 
So before we go to the next question, uh, if we're already describing you or someone you know and you want to support them to take some action, uh, I'll keep going to give you the number for Sands and Associates. It's 1-800-661-3030. Your best next step, sit down and talk to somebody and see if this is your, if this is the thing you should be doing or is there something else you can be doing. Uh, Sands and Associates, all the staff are so knowledgeable about next steps for you. So let's talk about, Blair, the frequently asked questions uh, that you get asked uh, when it comes to the bankruptcy process. Yeah, so the first one a lot of people ask is, how do you actually file for personal bankruptcy? And there's two ways for this to happen. And one is about 999 out of 1,000 cases, and the other is one in 1,000. So the 999 out of 1,000 cases is it's a voluntary filing. So generally, an individual would meet with a trustee, would investigate their options, would decide that bankruptcy is the option for them, and they would file documents with the trustee on a voluntary basis. They choose the date, the time, whether to proceed. No one is forced to do anything. That's the vast majority of cases, and I've only ever filed voluntary bankruptcies in nearly 15 years as a trustee. I don't know if my firm has even done any involuntary bankruptcies, but on the one in a thousand side of it, there is a potential provision that uh, if someone didn't file for bankruptcy and their creditors, you know, wanted to hire a lawyer and petition them into bankruptcy to essentially force them into that proceeding, that could happen. Uh, but again, it generally doesn't happen for the most part. It's a voluntary assignment that someone makes. There's a small uh, percentage of folks where it could be involuntary, but again, something I've really never seen in my career. But there's only one professional uh, in this country that can actually facilitate a bankruptcy for you. And that's exactly right, Elaine. So you don't need to go to a bankruptcy lawyer or attorney or anything like that. You don't need an informal advisor or an accountant. All you need to do is to see directly a licensed insolvency trustee, formerly called bankruptcy trustees, the same person, just different job title. Uh, we're the only individuals that can actually help someone filing a bankruptcy. And as anyone who listens to the show knows, and as anybody new will learn, uh, it's a free consultation that's confidential when you're dealing with a trustee. So you don't need any other middlemen or any referrals. You just come straight to a trustee. So does do the do my creditors at that point stop harassing me once I've declared or when does that stop? Absolutely, Elaine. As soon as you sign the documents uh, to file the bankruptcy, your trustee's next job is to file that with the government. It all happens electronically, often in the same meeting. And from there, at that moment, all collection activities against you have to cease. So, you know, as soon as anyone is aware of the bankruptcy and sometimes as soon as we sign the documents, uh, the person gets the next collection call. If they're in my office, I'm answering the phone and saying, I'm now the trustee appointed. Please don't call this person anymore. You'll have my documents within a couple of days here. Um, and for anybody that files for bankruptcy, all their creditors have to be notified uh, within a five day period. And from there, it's illegal for any creditors to call them take them to court, harass them, demand any payments, seize anything from them, they get that relief, that sense that they can restructure, that they you know, don't have the sword hanging over their head anymore. They've got the trustee protecting them. So you get the relief right away once you file the bankruptcy. And that's called a stay of proceedings. So it's a technical legal term. But if you do come across it, it means that any proceedings against you, like if someone's suing you to take your wages or seize your assets, all those have to stop. And in the court's terms, they call that being stayed. The stay of proceedings is what's really important, and it gives you that protection the day that you file. So what happens to all my stuff at this point, Blair? All the things that I've accumulated, whether that's put me into debt or not, but or just by living, like what happens to all of my assets? Mm -hmm. Another great question. A lot of people think you lose everything when you file for bankruptcy, and theoretically, okay, you're surrendering assets to your trustee, but 
for the most part, most people keep all of their assets when they go through a bankruptcy proceeding and nobody loses everything. So what happens is in each province, there's various exemptions where the government says, regardless of what federal law might say about bankruptcy, we think people within this province need a certain base level of assets to reestablish themselves that could never be taken from them. So in the province of BC, there's exemptions for household goods and clothing. So I've never once seized furniture or God forbid clothing from any of my clients. That's all fully exempt. Um, a vehicle can be exempt as well. Um, even equity in your home, depending on where you live in the province, you're allowed to have an exemption for your home equity. So it's far from a certainty that if someone files for bankruptcy, they lose their home. For the most part, they do keep it. Uh, you're allowed exemptions for your RRSPs, for any work tools that you might have, and even any life insurance policies or company pension plans. Uh, those are almost always exempt as well. So for the most part, when people go through bankruptcy, they get rid of all of their debt. And if they had a whole lot of assets that could be sold to pay debt, usually they've sold them in advance. So they don't have, you know, the $50,000, um, you know, investment account that's been gone before. So the, for the most part, when people file a bankruptcy, they do keep their assets. Okay. And how long does the whole process usually take? Well, sooner than you think, for 80% of people, bankruptcy is over in nine months. So it's not the six or seven years that most people think about. Literally from the day you sign those documents, if you've never filed for bankruptcy before and you're considered a low-income individual, bankruptcy runs for a nine-month period, and that's it. At the end of nine months, you're forever and finally discharged from all of those debts. Okay. And I want to, I know, I know we've got a, a few other things in between, uh, from that part to, to the last one, but I really want to ask you this question. If somebody's mm -hmm. considering bankruptcy, Blair, um, or just even just getting advice on dealing with their debt in general, where's the best place to get help at this point? Well, absolutely. The best place to reach out is to contact a licensed insolvency trustee uh, to arrange for a free consultation. It can be done over the phone. It can be done over the Internet or in person these days. Um, anything that you're facing, the trustee is going to sit down, understand the situation and understand your objectives. Are you trying to repay as much back as possible? Do you need a fresh start of bankruptcy? It's a no obligation, confidential meeting guaranteed. You're going to feel a whole lot better and sleep a whole lot better once you've had that first discussion and you're no longer suffering in silence. And in the last 30 seconds of this piece, I really want you to talk about, Blair, the kind of support that folks at Sands & Associates give someone coming in the door. Oh, absolutely, Elaine. So the, our approach is just because you're in debt, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It often doesn't mean that you've even done anything wrong. Quite often there are things outside of your control. So we treat everybody as an individual who's worthy of respect, dignity, and empathy. We provide solutions. But what we like to say, and this came from a customer review of ours, is we're debt smart, but with heart. We really do care. We want you to have a great experience of what can be a tough part in your life. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. This is part two of everything you wanted to know about bankruptcy, and maybe you're still a little afraid to ask. Uh, Blair Manton, who happens to be president of British Columbia's largest firm of licensed insolvency trustees, that Sands & Associates, uh, so focused on debt help services for folks, says many people facing a decision on how to address a debt problem don't have all the information or maybe have misinformation about their options to deal with it. So... We're first going to start just a tiny bit of a recap or a refresher on what it means to file per personal bankruptcy, Blair. Yeah, thanks, Elaine. So personal bankruptcy, it's a solution. It's intended to get you out of debt, uh, to give you hope, to allow you to look towards the future with some optimism rather than being burdened by you know what, what 
you know, different for everybody, but what can be an unmanageable amount of debt. So for some people, it's a few thousand dollars. For some people, it's literally a couple of million dollars. Um, but bankruptcy is your chance um, to discharge your debt, to move forward, to have a fresh start, uh, being unburdened by debt that you've accumulated. What bankruptcy in Canada will do, it's a voluntary process. So you generally don't get forced into bankruptcy. You decide this is the right remedy for you. The situation requires it, and your objectives are to move forward. Um, you sit down, you work with a trustee, and bankruptcy in Canada will help you move forward from just about any kind of debt. So amounts owing to Canada Revenue Agency for income taxes, for GST, uh, if you have employees, employee remittances, um, things like student loans as well. Those are things people think can't be dealt with typically in a bankruptcy, and they can. And then your normal consumer debts, your credit cards, lines of credit, overdrafts, payday loans. When you file for bankruptcy, you're essentially getting a fresh start, putting all of the debt um, in the rearview mirror and moving forward, getting on with your life. Now, my bet is that you talk to so many people, or Sands and Associates certainly talks to so many people, that you've got a list of sort of common questions that people always have around getting the bankruptcy process started. Can you run through some of those? Yeah, I think one of the big questions people have is just, what is the process? You know, what does it take? Is it months long? Is it weeks long? Days long? What does it take from if I decide... Um, that I want to investigate the option of bankruptcy, how do I actually make that happen if I choose to do so? And let's spend a bit of time today on, on the steps um, that someone w- would go through. Um, so first off, the first step, and essentially the most difficult step for a lot of people, is just reaching out for help. So I understand the fear of the unknown. A lot of people can feel um, you know, very ashamed of their situation, You know, even if it was a bunch of factors outside of their control. We often are our own worst critics, our own worst judges, and we often are fearful of reaching out and having someone say, well, gee, that was a silly thing you did, and you made your situation worse. Um, So sometimes we hesitate in reaching out for help because we're worried that we're going to be judged. Um, But absolutely, anybody that's listening to this program or reaches out to Sands and Associates, the opposite of judgment is what you would receive. Um, So you'd receive someone who's going to sit down with you, going to empathize, understand, and really treat you with dignity, respect, and empathy, which might be quite different than what you're getting if you're dealing with collectors all day long who really just want to be paid. So the first step in the process is you connect with a licensed insolvency trustee. You sit down for that free consultation. Um, It's typically done either remotely these days with COVID or in our offices. Uh, We've got locations all over the province, and it often starts with just a simple phone call, uh, a Zoom meeting, a Microsoft Teams video chat, uh, whatever it is that works. That first consultation is your first step in the process. And is there a physical, what's the physicalness of your, of your first appointment when you sit down and all the forms and information? What do I need to bring with me when I come in? For the first appointment, it's generally just, you know, an informal conversation. So a lot of people will bring or have ready all their most recent bills and their pay stubs and their tax returns, and that's helpful. But even if you have nothing prepared, it can still just be a very productive meeting, understanding in general terms what you're facing and explaining, shedding some light on what are the options that are available to you. Um, after you've had that meeting and you decided, okay, maybe one of these options does make sense to move forward, whether it's a bankruptcy or a proposal, uh, the trustee or the estate admin- administrator is going to pass along to you an application form. So it's either someone you can fill in online or a fillable PDF or fill it in you know, in pen and ink and drop it off at the office. But it's going to give us the information that we need to prepare the bankruptcy documents for your filing. Uh, if your situation is urgent, as in you know, your wages are being seized, you get paid on Friday and it's Tuesday now, um, we can work very quickly. So if someone gave us a completed intake form with all the required information, in as little as 24 hours, we could have a filing ready to go, get that person the protection that they need and help them to start moving forward. Um, as soon as you've signed 
the bankruptcy documents. So you've given us the intake form back and you've signed the documents. That's when the process starts. And that's when you get that protection from your creditors. You only have to deal with the trustee. You no longer have to deal with anyone that you owe money to. Okay. Now, before we talk about some other sort of frequently asked questions to this insolvency trustee and, and how the process works, if we're already talking about you and you feel like, okay, this is me, I need to take some action, at least I need to find out more, it's so easy to do. 1-800-661-3030 is the phone number. Sands-trustee.com is the website, and it's filled with great questions and answers if you need a bit more information. So um, if we go, to, can we go to the part of, if I'm going to go ahead and file, if I'm going to file a bankruptcy, um, how does it affect my partner or spouse at this mm. point? That's a huge concern for so many individuals, Elaine. And um, it's often the case that, you know, it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And a lot of people that I sit down with, they say, okay, I know if I file for bankruptcy, gee, my spouse is going to have to file also. Are there some that are going to be responsible for my debts? Um, and both of those are in the category of things that you think are so that just aren't. It's not the case at all that a spouse is impacted when one person files for bankruptcy. So if your spouse is not attached to any of your debts, so if you haven't co-signed on any debts, you haven't borrowed any money together, um, one person filing for bankruptcy is going to have literally zero impact on the other individual. Their credit rating is not going to take any hit. If they weren't responsible for the person's debts beforehand, I mean, they weren't a co-applicant, they hadn't signed to you know, be a guarantor or have a joint account, bankruptcy doesn't create any extra liability uh, for the other spouse. So sometimes that can be really important for couples to know uh, because couples can assume, okay, if one person has a debt, it means that both of us have that debt. And therefore, if the other person has some assets and wants to pay off the spouse's debt, they could choose to do so, but they should do so with eyes wide open, knowing that they had no obligation to do so and that debts are kept separate. Even if someone is married, there's nothing that makes the debt automatically joint. Okay. Um the other thing that I, I want you to mention, too, is is all the different ways that um, a licensed insolvency trustee really protects you as you go through your process and the whole family, not just your not just your spouse. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, when you're working with, with a licensed insolvency trustee, you're dealing with the most qualified individual you could ever work with to deal with your financial situation. So there's only a 1,000 trustees in Canada. They're all licensed by the federal government, and they have to pass a very rigorous course uh, of education, of professional requirements, of continued development, uh, and a code of ethics and professional practice. So uh, you've got remedies if you're dealing with a trustee. If you're not sure that something is going according to plan, there's Industry Canada, there's a superintendent of bankruptcy, and trustees are very conscious of wanting to do a good job and wanting to continue to be a trustee, of course. Um, so generally, if you're dealing with a trustee, things are going to be by the book, well-defined process. You're not going to have surprises along the way. Um, at Sands & Associates, we've been doing this for more than 30 years. We were founded in 1990, so we celebrated our 30th anniversary just a couple of years back now, looking towards 35. Um, and it's literally tens of thousands of individuals who felt supported, who've gotten a new start, a new lease on life by dealing with their debts working with us. And then in closing out this segment, Blair, can you talk about some of the signs um, for someone that it may be the best idea at this point to take a real serious look at per my personal finances uh, and then call you? Mm -hmm. You know, the simplest way to say it, Elaine, is if you think you have a debt problem, you probably do. Mm. If you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling stressed, you're worried about your debts, you're only making your minimum payments, you're not sleeping at night, those are all the key, key hallmarks of someone who should have a conversation and figure out what they should do about their debts. 
Excellent. And I know it's so easy to do. And, and can you just talk a little bit about the ease of which somebody can come in and see you and sit down? Yeah, we're, we're seeing more people than ever before during the pandemic with a lot of people with just a ton of questions going on, you know, whether it's serve repayments or getting back to work and worry about their income being taken and now creditors being reactivated with their rights. Um, so it's very easy to meet with us. You just give us a call or visit, or visit us online at sands-trustee.com. Often the same day we're setting up meetings. Again, things over the phone are virtually very easy to do. Um, you'll get your questions answered. You'll have someone that really cares and wants to understand and give you a better plan to work through your situation. That's great, Blair. I just want to throw out that website again, just in case you missed it. It's sands-trustee.com. And by going to the website, it's just filled with so many good questions and answers written in such an easy way to understand them. And it'll really give you a good idea uh, as, as to your next steps. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Now, we talk about consumer proposals a lot on the show, but as you know, Blair, and I know, and Jeff knows, everybody who's involved in the show knows that not everybody knows what a consumer proposal is and how it works. And um, I just think this is such a good segment for people to learn about possibly something for the first time that's going to help them in the, in the long run. Uh, Canadians have access it's to a very powerful legal process in this country that allows someone to consolidate debt without a loan, interest charges, or added fees. So Blair, let's go at it. What is a consumer proposal? How does it work? How do, how do you file one in this province? Yeah, with pleasure, Elaine. I'm happy to answer. I sometimes only say half in jest. I feel like my life's purpose is to make people aware of this consumer proposal tool because I couldn't believe I could go to business school, work at an accounting firm, and I had no idea that this tool even existed. And I was deep into the financial system at that point. It was only when a family member needed some help with that I started to research and understand just this great tool that's still so unknown. So what a consumer proposal is, it's a debt solution that's sometimes referred to as a debt settlement proposal, where it allows you to settle your debts for less than what you owe and consolidate all of your debts into one manageable monthly payment. And it's not for the rest of your life. The maximum term is five years and a lot of proposals are shorter than that. So the end goal is to allow the individual to repay the portion of the debt they can afford to repay and achieve a financial fresh start free from debt and not having to resort uh, to a more severe remedy of filing a personal bankruptcy. So the way a proposal works is it allows you to consolidate your debts without borrowing. So there's no new interest charges. There's no new lender coming to the table. It's just by law, when you file a proposal, all of the interest that's charged on your debt stops that moment, and all the fees and collection activities also has to stop. So you get the breathing room. You don't have those calls anymore. And then with a the consumer proposal, it's a question of how much can you reasonably afford to repay on your debt. In some cases, people can afford to repay 100%. They just need to stop the crazy interest. Okay, we can do that. But in a lot of cases, a person's going to pay as little as 20 to 50% of the balance. So what that means in real numbers here is a person who owed $20,000, they might say they can afford to repay 30% of that amount. Um, that would work out to about $6,000. And they could pay that off over a 36-month period at $165. So you can imagine looking at a $20,000 credit card bill or a bunch of bills that add up to that, but the interest charges and the minimum payments, what I'm telling you very clearly is in a consumer proposal, that might be as little as $165 a month to deal with the entire debt. And that payment alone could be less than the interest charges on just a single card that the person is dealing with. It's that life-changing. It gives people you know, their resilience and their chance to make good on the amount of the debt they can afford to repay. 
Now, Blair, is there a, is there sort of a, a parameters of what of what you should owe before you consider a consumer proposal? Yeah, the law gives a good window of definition. So a consumer proposal, you have to owe more than $1,000. And really, nobody does a proposal for $1,000. So people do do it for as little as five, seven, ten thousand $10,000 for sure. And the maximum amount is $250,000 of debt. And that doesn't include your mortgage on your principal residence. So whatever your mortgage balance is, that's kept aside. But of the debts that you're going to include in the consumer proposal, uh, up to $250,000 is the level where a proposal can work for you. Okay. And what is it, what does it include? What does it cover? What parts of the debt does it include? Yeah, it's almost easier to say, Elaine, what it doesn't include. It includes just about everything. So just about any consumer debt that you've honestly incurred can be settled, restructured, reduced by a consumer proposal. So the basics like the credit cards, overdrafts, line of credit, your payday loans, all of those, every day we deal with that. Uh, amounts owing to government. People are very surprised to learn that income tax debt, even business GST taxes, even payroll remittances, all of those can be compromised as part of a consumer proposal. Um, student loans, whether it's private, federal, or provincial, um, ICBC debt here in BC, if there's something you're held accountable for ICBC, a consumer proposal can be the only option other than a bankruptcy to help you get out of that debt. Um, even if you had a shortfall owing on your vehicle or your mortgage foreclosure or financing, and even if you owed somebody a personal debt. So I think about the only things I haven't listed there are things like child support and alimony. And yeah, those can't be dealt with in a consumer proposal. But most people aren't looking to reduce those obligations. They're looking to make good on those obligations, but it's the other debts that are holding them back. And all of that can be helped with a consumer proposal. Okay. So what, how do you start? How do you start to file something uh, like or, you know, the consumer proposal? Who do I have to go see to do that? Well, you've got to come see a licensed insolvency trustee, and it all starts with a free confidential debt consultation. So if you start to Google consumer proposals online, you'll find a bunch of trustees offering to help you with that. But you'll also find a bunch of consultants who are saying, oh, come to us. We're going to charge you some fees, but we'll get a better result. You don't need to pay anybody to file a consumer proposal. You just need to sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee. You don't need a referral. You can just phone us up directly. Uh, we'll have the first being as quick as you're able to, and then we'll help you structure the proposal from there. So step one of the four main steps is to get that first confidential debt consultation. And do I, what do I have to show up? Do, what do I bring to that consultation? You know, you just need to bring enough information so that we can have a good sense of what your financial situation is. So we need to understand, well, who do you owe money to um, and how much is owed to each? We need to understand your income, your family size, um, you know, what are the circumstances, who's working, who's living where, and so on and so forth. And then what's your ability to make payments? So how does the budget look each month? And are there significant assets? Is there a bunch of money in the bank that could be part of the proposal? Or are you just living paycheck to paycheck? And the proposal is just going to be based on your ability to pay each month. So in the space of our first consultation of about, you know, usually 30 to 45 minutes, we're going to get all that information together. And then we can put together a projection of what we think the proposal is going to look like. And then you really take over at this point. If we, we're in agreement that this is what I'm going to do, then you do all the hard work, it seems to me. Well, it's, it's easy for us, but yes, definitely we do. We do this hundreds of times a month. And the expression is that we step into your shoes. So with respect to your debts, you no longer have to deal with anybody who's been calling you, harassing you, threatening you, anything like that. The trustee, trustee steps in like a referee to everyone you owe money to saying, well, hey, halt all of this activity. You're going to deal directly with the trustee to prove the amount of the debt that's owed. Uh, and then the individual who's filed the proposal, they don't have to deal with those creditors ever again. They just deal fairly with the trustee. They work with the 
trustee to complete the consumer proposal, um, and then that's that's all that they have to do. But as soon as they sign the proposal, they get that immediate relief. And then what happens with the proposal is like any proposal in life, it could be either accepted or rejected. So a lot of people think, well, you're offering them back 30 cents in the dollar. Aren't most creditors just going to reject this proposal? And I often say, well, yeah, if you as an individual made a proposal to give your creditors back 30 cents, they're going to laugh and say, no way, not going to happen. But when it comes through a trustee, um, I show them the alternative. The alternative is if they don't accept this proposal, the person could, not required to, but could choose to file a bankruptcy, and then they might end up with nothing. So in general, 30 cents in the dollar is a whole lot better than zero cents in the dollar. So it's almost every case, it's over 95% of the time, a consumer proposal is accepted on the first offer. You have a wonderful list of the general benefits to doing a consumer proposal. Can we touch on some of those as we wrap up this segment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think let's hit the main ones here. So, you know, first off, it's going to simplify your life. So it's a single payment you're going to make each month, regardless of the amount of debt that you have, different terms, different dates, just one payment you make. And that payment is going to be significantly reduced from the amount that you're already paying each month for minimum payments, interest charges, so on and so forth. Again, usually in the range of 20 to 40, maybe 50 percent repayment is most typical proposals. That's just a huge savings. I think the last thing to, to highlight here is it allows you to consolidate your debts without borrowing. So what a lot of people are looking to do is to do a debt consolidation. They start with their bank, they get denied, and they don't know what to do from there. A consumer proposal is going to achieve essentially the same thing, putting all your debts together, but you didn't have to borrow, you didn't have to you know, put any more funds at risk, and the consolidation is just going to be what you can afford, not the full amount and definitely not the full amount plus interest. So it gives you something you can afford, something you can feel successful when you make those payments each month, and you're going to be able to put it behind you relatively quickly uh, compared to paying off all the debts in full over time. And I just want to throw in as we wrap up, a licensed insolvency trustee, folks, they're the only ones that can facilitate a consumer proposal, one. Two, if you want more information, go to the Sands & Associates website. It's just filled with good information about consumer proposals, sands-trustee.com, or give them a call, 1-800-661-3030, for that first free consultation. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.